Well, hello and welcome again to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. So good to be with you today. We're beginning what we know will be at least a two-part series on what, frankly, I think Francis and I would agree is probably the single most important conversation that we have, and in fairness, we have it um, on a weekly basis, but that is the role of contemplative prayer, and I would say even more specifically, grace of contemplative prayer. And as we've said so many times, it's really the focus of this entire conversation that Francis and I have each week, how to incorporate a contemplative lifestyle into an otherwise busy secular lifestyle. And so that's the basis of our conversation today. And let me begin that by saying hello to my co-host in studio, Francis. How are you? I'm feeling very blessed and grace-filled and hoping that uh, the Lord will speak through us today, especially on this very important topic of grace of contemplative prayer. And I know we're going to zero in in particular about the transition um, uh, of not just a contemplative life, but the transition from a active interior prayer to a passive of interior prayer life. And that is a, a very important place where a lot of people get stuck. And we want to help unstick you by the grace of God and the teaching of St. John of the Cross. Yeah, and also helping our listeners to identify when they're in that phase. You know, we're counseled not to be uh, too keen on investigating our individual prayer life and trying to identify exactly what uh, castle we might be in or what stage of St. John the Cross's four uh, stages we might be in. And those are helpful. Those are guides. But the truth is we go back and forth through different stages, especially at different times of our life. Um, What's important is that we keep making progress and we identify the things that either impede our progress or may uh, pull us off course and distract us. So uh, with the benefit of our saints, our great saints, uh, masters of uh, contemplative prayer and the contemplative experience, we hope to be able to provide some insight with that. Right. We want to just shed some light on what contemplative prayer is and how you can prepare and be receptive to the deeper grade of infused mystical contemplative prayer. Well, before we get into that, perhaps we should begin with prayer. Uh, seems a safe way to begin a discussion on prayer. So, Francis, if you wouldn't mind, as you do each week, please lead us in prayer. This is a prayer that comes from the Discast Carmelite Order's newest saint as of May 2015. It is St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, who had a great devotion to the Holy Spirit. And I think in this very important teaching about prayer and an interior prayer, um, this prayer of hers uh, really reflects uh, the echoes of my heart. Uh, regarding what we hope to accomplish today. Um, So let us get recollected and let us pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit, inspire me. Love of God, consume me. Along the true road, lead me. Mary, my mother, look upon me. With Jesus, bless me. From all evil, from all illusion, from all danger, preserve me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Well, you mentioned just quickly, uh, sidebarring here, the um, most recent Carmelite saint, of course, St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, whose canonization occurred in May of last year. Uh, and I appreciate the update on the date for uh, the canonization of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. That's going to occur on October 16th now. 
2016. I had originally understood it was November, but I'm glad that we've got a date locked in. Uh, Francis and I are both preparing our tickets to uh, Rome for that date. Right? <laughs> if I win the Publishers Clearing House. <laughs> uh, but listen, uh, uh, on a third note, um, and I offer this especially for a good friend of Francis and I, a good friend of the program who uh, lives in Texas. I won't identify that person, but um, uh, they will know who they are. Um, the um, word I got the other day is that the cause for a canonization for Titus Bransma has now been oh, opened. Praise God. So, of course, he's an Ocarm, but uh, we claim him nonetheless. And, of course, we've done a program. We've done a series on Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Wonderful. Um, looking forward to uh, hearing the progress of that. I have no doubt uh, that, um, that ultimately the church will uh, choose to raise him to the altars. And it's great. Uh, we should realize the blessing that we in Carmel enjoy in having this uh, proliferation of saints in the last few years and many others that are under consideration. So... Um, there's a reason for it, and that reason, quite frankly, is that this is the schoolhouse of prayer. Well, Mark, I had chosen two scripture passages to help get us started on this conversation. Um, one is from Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14. And and the reason why I picked this is because this transition period of prayer from an active prayer to a passive prayer can be pretty rocky, and it, it can be pretty dark and arid. So um, we've got to remember that God has us in mind um, for our growth, for our benefit. He has our best interest at heart. So from Jeremiah, would you please read it? Yes, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. And this is a verse, I agree, Francis, I would encourage anybody who's in a state of transition, finding themselves in difficult circumstances, and who of us isn't from time to time, um, reference this verse and feed your spirit with it on a daily basis. Again, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For I know well the plans I have in mind for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for woe, plans to give you a future full of hope. When you call me, when you go to pray to me, I will listen to you. When you look for me, you will find me. Yes, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me with you, says the Lord, and I will change your lot. You know, the important phrase for me in all this, I'll let you reflect on it, Francis, is this idea of having to pray with all your heart. It's not mm-hmm. the repetition of the prayer. It's not the emotion of the prayer. It's mm-hmm. not the uh, a length of the prayer. It is praying with all your heart. That, to me, is the centerpiece of this, of this call to prayer. My piggyback on that is the future full of hope. Because if we don't hope, then we... We slowly die. We've got to have hope, and we have a God of hope. So I I think then we put those two together. We've got a really good direction here. Um, The next scripture passage I picked was Psalm 46, verse 11, which, Mark, you have used many, many times and is so appropriate for a contemplative life and a contemplative prayer. Be still and know that I am God. It's very important about this. Be still. And then the no, that is a big part of that. And we'll, we can go into that further. But to know that I am God, that's amazing. So these two scripture passages anchor us in the contemplative prayer in the heart. And so um, we will come back to that. We'll full, circle full around. But I wanted us to get started on it. But, you know, this, the theme for this conversation, Mark, is 
the grace of contemplative prayer and in specifically approaching how to prepare and dispose herself for the mystical infused gift of contemplative prayer. But in this conversation, this theme, grace of contemplative prayer, there's three important words, prayer, grace, and contemplative. So I just want to kind of go through a brief definition of each one of those. Well, of course, the best source of for that um, is oftentimes the catechism, and so we'll turn to the catechism, specifically 2559, that's 2559 in the catechism, St. John, uh, uh, John Damascene says, prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart, there's that word heart again, to God, or the requesting of good things from God. And of course, um, we know that prayer ultimately, as we're going to discuss here today, uh, Francis, leads to that deepening relationship. It may begin as a series of requests or expressing the desire to God for things we need, but ultimately it's an encounter, it's an experience, and St. John Damascene uh, mentions that here. I kind of think of prayer as that, gener- you know how we saw the movie Journey to the Center of the Earth? Mm-hmm. I always think in, in terms of prayer in this interior life, journey to the center of the soul, um, into this deeper intimacy with this Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who we know dwells within us, and it is a yes. journey, you're right, to, to encounter um, the Trinity dwelling within us. Now we go to St. Teresa of Avila, the foundress of the Discalced Carmelite Order. She writes in the book of her life, For mental prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. So this intimate sharing, it's that deep, intimate conversation from the heart. And now this is going to lead us into the word grace, because I said there were three important words, the grace of contemplative prayer. And we spoke about prayer. um, And now we want to go into grace because grace is the foundation for all prayer, for all gifts. As St. Therese of Lisieux says, all is grace. So um, Mark, how about leading us off in what grace is? Yeah. uh, And again, um, as we discussed even before we came on um, today, Francis, grace is the centerpiece of prayer. It is what allows us to pray. It's what makes our prayer effective. And we benefit by the receipt of grace when we actively engage in any form of prayer. Of course, we're talking about uh, perhaps higher forms of prayer where we're uh, seeking that intimate union and grace is increased in that particular instance. But uh, grace is necessary even to begin, even to have the desire for prayer. And so uh, reading again from a, a safe source, that being the Catechism, 1997, we read, Grace is a participation in the life of God. It is infused by the Holy Spirit into our soul to heal it of sin and to sanctify it. And I like to say that grace is the heart print of God in a soul. You know, it's just a perspective, but... I think it's well said. Now we go on to the Catholic Dictionary to tell us what grace is. The supernatural gift from God to assist persons in achieving eternal salvation. 
So if we want to get to heaven, we need grace. Something we all want. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> we are straight to heaven, right? <laughs> yes, ideally. It is an undeserved gift to which individuals have no right or claim. We're not going to earn it, of course, but which rather comes simply from the benevolent nature of God. So now when we talk about grace, there's actual grace and sanctifying grace. Actual grace, which God gives, is passing. It's sort of like a jump start or an energizer boost to our soul. And then sanctifying grace, which is habitual, stable, supernatural disposition of the soul that perfects the soul itself to enable it to live with God so as to act by his love. For example, the sacraments, baptism, Eucharist, confirmation. And then we go into the catechism, uh, talking more about grace. Yeah, a little further in the catechism, 2003 we read, grace is first and foremost the gift of the Spirit who justifies and sanctifies us. But grace also includes the gifts of, that the Spirit grants us to associate us with his work, to enable us to collaborate in the salvation of others and in the growth of the body of Christ, the church. A grace of conversion, for example, grace of true repentance, the grace of transformation— all of these are examples of grace working in our life. And again, as Francis, quoting St. Therese, said a moment ago, all is grace. Even the desire to pursue grace is a grace in and of itself. Our desire for repentance is a grace in and of itself. And inevitably, as we reach those difficult stages of our transformation, it is grace that carries us through. The Catechism makes this very clear to us. Now, we may not un see grace, right? Um, but we can see the effects of grace. That, And we know that through faith. The Catechism says in 2005 that grace belongs to the supernatural order and thus escapes our experience and cannot be known except by faith. We can, however, distinguish the fruits of grace. It is from that perspective that we want to be talking about the grace of contemplative prayer for this conversation. Yeah, grace brings us into that deeper relationship with God, as we discuss, and how we respond to grace is critical in determining how well we will imitate uh, God and our relationship with God, how intimate it may be. Uh, I would um, emphasize here, Francis, that in addition to grace serving as the catalyst and the thing that sort of gets us moving, as you described it, um, it is also how well we prepare ourselves to receive grace that yes. determines the benefit we get out of it. Certainly the Lord wants to do all in us that he intended to do in us. We are the impediment to that. Grace is the gift. Uh, we know it. It's free. There's nothing we can do to acquire it. We can prepare ourselves to receive it and allow it to affect us in the most beneficial way. And, of course, that's what we're going to discuss here. And, of course, we want to respond to the grace with yes, yes, yes. Uh, Mary's fiat. That would be great. <laughs> well, we know God is with us. He's present within our souls. We know this because we're created by him. If if uh, he wasn't within us, uh, we would not be alive, number one. And number two, he's with us by his gifts to us, like through the sacraments in particular. And and three, he's present with us because of our friendship with him, through our prayer, through our loves, through our service. You know, uh, this is important for us to, to remember how he is present within. And it's not extraordinary that God is within and wants to speak to us. It is the norm. It's just that we're not aware of it. We need to pay attention to this. To hear God, we must search within ourselves 
and then try to discover the mysteries of God. Do our part to grow in relationship with him, to become intimate and respond to his call for deeper love. So now I want to shift into this. Now that we have the grounding of these three words, prayer, contemplative, and grace, Oh, excuse me. We got to go to the third word, contemplative. There. That's right. I haven't got that one yet. So what do we mean by this word contemplative in relationship to contemplative prayer? Well, I agree. You, you've made a reference here that this is sort of where it gets messy. And the word contemplative or contemplation uh, can certainly mean many things to different people in different cultures in a different context. Uh, and there is a lot of misinformation out there as well. Some of it yeah. brought about by the New Age teaching on what is meant by contemplation. Some people define it for themselves. So we're going to attempt to clear up some of that confusion. Uh, some even go so far as to say that contemplative prayer is against Scripture, that we shouldn't be involving oh, ourselves ooh, in contemplative ouch. prayer. Yeah, that's a lot of misunderstanding there. I mean, I just saw a website the other day, and I copied it because I was like, I'm going to give this to the ongoing formation class and have them you know, rebut this <laughs> argument here. Um, but anyway, a lot of misinformation out there, so we have to be careful. we got to go to true sources we can trust. You know, it does get confusing because sometimes people are talking about a way of life and not in particular, uh, a religious life. They're just talking about being a contemplative person as in uh, more of a silent type person. So they may be talking about that. Um, other times they are talking about it as an expression of prayer, like vocal prayer, meditative prayer, or contem- contemplative prayer. Um, or, as in the Carmelites, when we talk about contemplation, we're typically referring to this deep degre- degree of prayer that's infused. Uh, it's an infused gift from God. You know, sometimes people are talking about a non-religious experience, and other times then they're talking about a very deep spiritual experience. So when we use that word, we have to be, you know, ha- have your ears perk up and, you know, think, you know, well, what, what context are we talking about here? Well, for the first, uh, I guess, exclusion of uh, what we don't want to talk about, we should say that we are focused here on Christian contemplation, which has as its center, of course, Jesus Christ. Uh, He is the focus of our prayer in order uh, to understand what it is. It's very helpful, as I say, to begin to dismiss or eliminate the things that it's not. Uh, First of all, contemplation is not a theory. It's not something that we learn from a text. You can't read it and then go do it. Certainly we have to practice a contemplative prayer. I'm not suggesting that. And we can benefit uh, from the readings of uh, St. Teresa, St. Therese, St. John of the Cross. But it's not as though there's a theory written out that we then go and execute uh, and we arrive at contemplative prayer. It's also not meditation. It's it's. Um, I don't want to suggest beyond meditation because it's equally uh, meditation is equally powerful, of course, but but it is uh, different than meditation. You're entering into a more intimate relationship uh, with God in the context of contemplation and, than in meditation. And, of course, contemplative prayer as an infused gift is much deeper than meditation. So right. we'll just make that clear. It's not theology. Uh, it's not, as I said a moment ago, it's not an academic exercise that we're engaging in. Um, it is not a ritual. It isn't something that, you know, you have to write, light the right candles and have the right incense and uh, sacrifice, uh, you know, uh, some animal for. It's not the, the uh, formality of all that. It is not a ritual. It is not learning uh, through natural knowledge. It's not something we acquire. I said that a moment ago. We go read the text and then we practice and we'll do it. It's not metaphysical or arising out of effects. Now, Francis 
uh, I'm going to let you explain what you meant by that one, but uh, certainly I'm, I'm happy to weigh in on it. It's not metaphysical or arising out of effects. Well, it's sort of like the person that makes the snake come out of the basket, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. metaphysical, you know, uh, wizardry type of things. Um, we don't get no. to control it. No, we no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's no magic. There's no witchcraft. There's It's none of those, okay? Um, and, you know, it, it's not a philosophy or a form of escapism, although people may get contemplative to escape the stress of their life. Um, but when we're talking about Christian con- contemplation as a form of prayer, we're, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about Zen or yoga or anything Oriental or Buddhist. It's, it's not weird physics. It's not magic, occult, hypnosis, drugs. It's, it's not making yourself out to be an angel either because we can make that thing, you know, try to do away with the body. You know, we are body and spirit, so we need both of those um, and of course, as you mentioned, it's not something you control, control or make happen. It's only something you can receive. It's only gifted by the Lord to us. Yeah, not something that we can achieve. You know, you hear that word sometimes. Oh, I want to achieve this in prayer. And of course, at this stage, we're really the achievement is getting into prayer. God takes over in contemplation. God has to take over ultimately. It's not a super high state of mental arousal. This is something that people absolutely can achieve on their own. Absolutely. I don't want to mm-hmm. suggest that it's not possible because it is. That's not what this is about. It's certainly not about locutions or visions or levitations. Those may be manifestations of an encounter with God, but they are not the centerpiece of contemplative prayer. Uh, contemplation, uh, its, its principal manifestation is love. Uh, but it isn't these sort of mystical phenomena. It's not uh, impersonal, uh, uh, but heightened awareness. Uh, like is, from drugs. Yeah, know? right. It's not something that's uh, brought about by uh, you know some some third element other than God. And it is not a personally induced altered state of consciousness. Again, we can't do this for ourselves. It's not something that we can... Um, make happen despite our intense desire and, and willing it, um, ultimately God has to take over. And when we're speaking of contemplative prayer, I mean, we we can say, okay, uh, well, how would we gauge it to, you know, what they're saying out there in the new age? We can say, well, is our focus on Jesus Christ or is it on ourself? Is the mind full of love or are we trying to empty our mind? I mean, we can see the differences already. Are you growing in humility? Or are you growing in your own power over things? Uh, a big, big difference here. Humility is a good sign here. Are you realizing how much you don't know? Or are you thinking you're in the know? Hmm. Um, is God in control? Or are you in control? Because when we're talking about this contemplative prayer leading into this gift of infused contemplative prayer, you know, God is very much in control. <laughs> Um, is your love more self-sacrificial or more self-centered, all about me, you know? Um, are you reflecting and radiating God, or do you think you are God? I actually hear this in conversation. It's just amazing. Are you hooked on God or hooked on a feeling? Um, a good question also is, is your prayer biblically based? In other words, based in Scripture, the the Psalms or... Christ's uh, utterances in the New Testament, good basis for uh, entering into the uh, preparation for prayer. Do you submit your prayer experiences for discernment, or do you choose to judge them yourself? And when you submit them for discernment, by the way, I've heard this, uh, do you want them analyzed and reiterated back to you so that you can understand everything that's going on, or do you simply share them in faith? 
Uh, does your prayer mm-hmm. result in positive social change or result in self-absorption? Mm-hmm. Is your prayer relationship with God? Or as Francis said a moment ago, are you trying to be God? And of course, we're not suggesting that someone sits there and says, well, I'm God. But but we are trying, um, if we're on the wrong course, we're sort of trying to control the outcome and control the right. circumstances and act through our will. And to know better than everybody else. And yeah. you think you got the whole future all down pat here. Um, yeah. so. and, and lastly, I think that's a good one. Are we trying to better the world? Or are we trying to simply escape the world? You know, St. Teresa said to her sisters, we are not here to create little nests for ourselves, spiritual nests for ourselves. We have to affect the world. And so it's a good question to wrestle with. All right. So now that we know what it what it's not and how we've compared it with other things that it's not, let's say what it contemplative prayer is. It's well, a, a gate. I know we're only got to we're going to take a break here in just a minute. But I just want to put this out there before we break. Okay. Uh, contemplative prayer is a gaze of faith fixed on Jesus, an attentiveness to the Word of God. A silent love. It is living in love with God. And so we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come right back and uh, get into some of the more nitty-gritty details about contemplative prayer. Great. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in your home. We'll be right back.
Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations and Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We are uh, in the middle of at least a two-part series on contemplative prayer. I'm thinking maybe, Francis, maybe two-part two, uh, series, uh, not more than that. But um, we are discussing really, um, Francis used the word before we broke, and I think it's uh, appropriate, the nitty-gritty of contemplative prayer. What do our great saints in Carmel have to say about it? What does the Catechism have to say about it? And we concluded with, um, or actually just uh, got to the point where we want to read a quote from uh, one of the great Carmelite saints, St. John of the Cross, a master of prayer, in fact, the doctor of mystical theology. Um, And this great doctor of the church had this to say in stanza 28 of the spiritual canticle. An ounce of pure love is more precious in the eyes of God and the soul and more profitable to the church than all other good works together, though it may seem as if nothing were done. From this, we can really understand the impact, the power of contemplative prayer. Now, I read a good article about this actually over the weekend. I don't want to delve too deeply into the article, but it asks this very question, what makes our prayer powerful? Well, we know what makes our prayer powerful is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. What purifies it? Jesus Christ. What allows it to affect the world? Jesus Christ. Right. It is the degree to which we are in union with Christ in our prayer, where, as we're going to describe, we've moved away from that sort of self-focus or where we're active into a more passive element that allows Christ and the Holy Spirit to take over our prayer. Then what St. John of the Cross tells us here about the purity of our love, the purity of our prayer, and the ability to affect the world around us really begins to, uh, I would say, get into an accelerated mode uh, because we've, in effect, allowed Christ to take over. Well, when we um, practice this contemplative prayer and we're disposed for the gift of infused contemplative prayer, that's where we grow in this pure love. And so to think that one ounce of pure love is more precious in the eyes of God and more profitable to the church than all these other good works together, that should help us to uh, be rooted in, in knowing that, you know, praying is so potent and so important and so needed for this day in this age. Well, I know you want to walk us through some of the modes, Francis, to sort of build on this framework that we've built about, uh, you began with the, the distinction between a grace, uh, contemplative prayer, and in the, in the introduction of those three words, prayer, grace, and contemplation. Uh, now we want to talk a little bit about the mode so we can distinguish these various levels of activity or action on the part of the person who prays, and then we'll move more de- deliberately into God's action within that. Well, and basically there's two modes, the natural mode and the supernatural mode. The natural mode of prayer is summed up by mental prayer. That That's a big word that encompasses many, many kinds of prayer, vocal prayer, meditative prayer, effective prayer. Um, it uses the mind, the heart, and the imagination. Um, St. Teresa of Avila tells us, though, that you know, in vocal prayer there should be also mental prayer. We, we should know who we're talking to and what we're saying. Otherwise, you know, we're just saying words, reciting words with no attention and no meaning. You know, what is that? That's not prayer. In meditation, we gauge our thoughts, our imagination and motion and and desires. And then an effective prayer, that's the emphasis on the heart. And then there's the prayer of recollection, the prayer of simplicity or acquired contemplation. 
which is more quiet, more interior. But one is still the soul is doing a good amount of the work. Of course, God is always acting on the soul, even in the natural mode. But the soul is, is doing a good bit of work. Now, as we trans uh, go into transitioning into the supernatural mode, this is where God takes over. Yeah, I just want to say one thing on effective prayer, because it's a term that gets bounced around a lot, and I don't know that we've always taken the time to explain it, but affective means it has an effect on us. It actually draws out uh, uh, some sort of a reaction. It doesn't have to be emotional. It's deeper, as you say. It's of the heart. But we have the experience of something that is happening deep within us. We are active still. Uh, but affective prayer uh, is the participation of our spirit now beginning to be drawn into that encounter and, of course, uh, more powerful than simple recitation of vocal prayer. In the supernatural mode of prayer, we find this, uh, begin to find the stages of infused contemplative prayer or contemplation. This is where God really starts to take over, and this is what's necessary for us. Ultimately, we have to give ourselves over in prayer. And this, by the way, uh, refers to both the uh, stages of the development of our prayer over a number of years, and we should acknowledge that if we enter into a individual session of prayer, contemplation isn't usually the first thing that happens. Now, it can be for the saints. God can draw them up instantly. He could do it with St. Teresa of Avila in the kitchen in the midst of her work. Um, and that does happen, but typically we're, we are needing to dispose ourselves before God begins that work in us. It may take, you know, 15, 30, 45 minutes into a prayer session before we begin to encounter that. It's really the, the, the Lord's decision when he begins to affect us in that way. The catechism here goes on and describes in 2724 contemplative prayer simply as the simple expression of the mystery of prayer. It is a gaze of faith fixed on Jesus, an attentiveness to the word of God, a silent love. Again, we see that phrase, silent love. I think that's the third time, Francis, that we've referenced it. In contemplative prayer, we find the gift of infused contemplation. It has several general subcategories or degrees, uh, infused recollection or contemplation, prayer of quiet, we'll speak about that, um, uh, Teresa of Avila certainly did, sleep of the powers, simple union, ecstatic union, and transforming union, or what is known as spiritual marriage. Each of these degrees of prayer is a deeper level of prayer, more interior, more intense, more passive, more transformative of the soul, and more filled with grace, as we discussed earlier. So um, these various stages, not important perhaps that you memorize them, although they are available in um, both the Catechism and in Teresa's writing uh, about this in the interior castles, she describes each of these in some detail. But it's important to know that in prayer we make progression. We move through these stages, and as I say, uh, for our benefit, they are more intense, more transformative, and more filled with grace. And, and that's exactly where I want to go with this conversation. What does that really look like? Um, you know, we, we're talking here now of the, the natural mode of prayer versus the supernatural, where God's taking over. Um, so we have a general sense of this natural contemplative prayer, and then we have degrees that we grow in and through by the grace of God of supernatural contemplative prayer, like infused contemplation. And so this is an area where very few people have a lot of knowledge. And so 
even they may have experienced it and, and may not even know it. And it can be a very dark period because um, God is weaning us from what is familiar, the familiar ways of praying to knowing God in a supernatural way. So it, it can be dark and arid and disconcerting uh, because we want to hang on to what we knew felt good and seemed right, you know, in meditation or effective prayer. So now we're being asked to progress and yet we're thinking we're getting worse and we're worried about it. And if you're not worried about it, then maybe sin is the problem, you know. But when you're worried about it, then you're like, okay, so what am I doing wrong? But things are changing. Things aren't working for me like they were before. Yeah, I, I think you raised two points. One, you don't have to have a degree in this in order to uh, understand what's happening. You know, there were people who were illiterate and, and certainly didn't read St. John of the Cross, um, didn't have an academic understanding, and nonetheless, God can do this work. So I hope nobody uh, who may be listening to us is worried, oh my gosh, I, don't, I didn't write down and memorize all those stages that Mark just read me through, so I'm not going to be able to experience them. Not, not at all the case. Um, the second thing I would say is, and Francis emphasizes this, it is a period of transition. And if nothing else, this uh, dryness, this uh, darkness that may occur is a consequence of destabilization. We are no longer stable. St. John of the Cross refers to it as our, our feet are no longer on the ground, but yet we're not in heaven. We're sort of in between those stages, and it's very destabilizing both to the human uh, uh, element of us and the spiritual element of us. We're not entirely sure what's happening. Clearly, we're no longer in control, and that in and of itself is difficult for many people. So that's part of the transition, if you will, and part of what makes us feel a little uncomfortable as that begins to uh, to take effect. Now I want to turn to Dr. Mysticus. That would be St. <laughs> John of the Cross, um, and to his definition of contemplation more precisely. It's the, it's the classical definition of contemplation, <clears throat> which says, contemplation is nothing else than a secret peaceful inflow of God into the soul, which if not hampered, fires the soul in the spirit of love. And this is from The Dark Night, chapter 10. Now, now I'm going to ask you to repeat that uh, um, definition, and as you suggested here, perhaps ask our listeners, is this something we really want to experience? It is an invitation to us, not in the next world, although that's inevitable, but in this world, this is the invitation. This is what St. John of the Cross is telling us is available to us if we seek it in contemplation. Francis, would you mind reading that? Contemplation is nothing else than a secret, peaceful inflow of God. And we could stop right there and just <laughs> ponder that part. So when we see that word, contemplation, we don't have to think it's something way out there and beyond us. Secret, peaceful inflow of God into the soul, which if not hampered, if we don't put um, obstacles in the way, fires the soul that gets gets us excited fires the soul in the spirit of love helps Which us to is love our ultimate destination as human persons we were created not only to be loved but to become love itself that is our ultimate destination it is the fulfillment of the human experience and so what we're suggesting is that this contemplative encounter is the vehicle if you will the means uh, through which we are transformed and perfected into the thing that we were ultimately created to be from all time. Well, let's give it a little bit more here on describing what it is, this infused contemplation. It's simple, it's subtle, supernatural, loving, of course, pure, divine, and very deep. 
It's a loving gaze at God who is love. It's, it's experiencing God who is love. It's supernatural in origin and can't be reproduced through any of our techniques. We keep bringing that up so you don't think that you have to make this happen. It's you dispose yourself. God himself pours himself into the soul. It is a gift from God to whomever he chooses, whenever he chooses, and for however long he chooses. And it is not an indicator of how holy the person is. So let's remember that. We'll get to that in a little bit more. We don't earn this. Infused contemplative prayer is an experience of the presence of God where there are no words, concepts, concepts, or image. It's full of love. That's it. Do we see how prayer at this stage becomes very refined, very clear, very specific? There are no uh, attachments. There's no uh, sort of, um, I, I like the French word, the accoutrement, you know, mm-hmm. the things that hang off of something else, mm-hmm. maybe to dress it up and decorate it. And That's gone now. We're just to the very center of the pure light of prayer. What is that? It's an, a, a loving encounter with that individual, I'll use the phrase, who is love itself, our God. And so it's very pure, very simple, um, you know, very uh, um, precise is, is perhaps a good word as well. And there are stages of progression, Francis, that help us understand that we're moving in this way. The progression of prayer from those initial degrees of natural prayer that you discussed earlier uh, to more intimate degrees of supernatural, which we then built on. Uh, But there are some working, uh, knowledgeable, uh, identifiable, if you will, uh, descriptions that might help the prayer, the soul, to realize what's happening to them. Well, the soul goes from the natural modes of prayer and are entering into the supernatural prayer. The soul goes from an active prayer to more of a receptive, passive prayer. The soul goes from working at prayer, you know, thinking, discerning, talking. Using the imagination right? and so forth. To God taking over and God working our prayer. The soul goes from death to self through detachment and mortification and self-renunciation. I know we've brought those words up many times in our conversations on this program. But here we're going death to self to life in and with and for God. We can go from the vocal meditative prayer to this infused contemplative prayer, from an ascetical prayer that we work at to the mystical prayer that is received. So, you know, if I want to put that in a very simple format, prayer progresses, which a lot of people aren't even thinking that they can progress in prayer. They never even think about prayer progressing. Um, so, but very simply, it's, you know, we, we can go from talking at God to talking with God. Or going from with God to just listening to God and then resting being with God. And in fact, those sound like Lexio Divina, <laughs> you know, the four steps simplified very much. Um, but anyway, there is this normal progression of prayer in a soul, which of course is deeply affected by how virtuous a life we live and especially how we respond to God's call in love. So, if you're praying the same way today as you prayed when you were teenagers, well, that might be a sign that you're stunted in your spiritual growth. So you really should take a look at that. Because, you know, just as we grow in our bodies or we grow emotionally or intellectually, so do we grow spiritually. And that is reflected in the fruits and in the effects in the progression in prayer. So, you know, as we journey in prayer, there can be times when our prayer is a mixture 
of both the vocal, the mental, or meditative, and contemplative. You, you might have a mixture of that. Uh, there might be a, pre- a preponderance of, of one over another. But um, as you grow, it, it'll get more and more passive. And so the biggest thing here is to pray as you can, not as you can't. You might like, wow, this sounds really good. I, I'm, I'm just going to be quiet and, you know, I'm going to force God to speak to me <laughs> because, I'm, you know, we, we need to be drawn into the silence. We, we don't want to force the silence, but we do want to practice silence. I mean, we're, we're a society that has so little silence, so we need to practice silence. But we also need to understand that God draws you into a deeper silence. And, and that's what we're trying to get about um, on here. One that we really can't describe, although we attempted to, didn't yes, we, in our we two-part did. series on silence. <laughs> um, I, and we used, I think, very um, um, you know, usefully the two um, approaches, one objective, descriptive, and then the other, the poetic, uh, sort of trying to describe um, what that experience might look like. And we've done something similar here in an attempt to uh, help communicate this natural contemplative experience. And and there's a list of things that I would ask our listeners, just reflect on these for a moment as a way of sort of understanding this non-religious natural contemplative experience, those that you might find in your everyday life. For example, admiring a painting uh, that might make you ponder deeper subjects and might harken back to something in uh, the recesses of your memory when you look at a particular print reading a really good book that you just can't put down. It's uh, engaging and absorbing, and you can create the the storyline in your head, and you might even see some of the characters. They may relate to some people you know. Uh, we know how this is engaging. Mm-hmm. Listening to great music that lifts us out of ourselves. If you haven't had this experience of uh, you know, being able to have music lift you out of your everyday um, um, ex- experience, it's a wonderful thing. It happens, of course, across a broad uh, spectrum of music. I'm thinking particularly of classical music. Here, yeah, but Mozart, whatever Beethoven. Your, uh, whatever your preference is. Um, I happen to like country music, so before I say this, I want to pre- preface it. But you know, uh, country music doesn't often have the capacity capacity to lift me out of my my daily experience. But nonetheless, uh, enjoying scenes in nature, sunsets, waterfalls, storms. We've said this so many times about um, the aesthetic value of contemplation, what we can get from nature. Of course, we know God created everything. uh, And uh, no doubt he had in mind giving us uh, tools and uh, props, if you will, to help us enter into our contemplative experience. And uh, so much of what's in nature are, are examples of that. Of course, after years of study and searching, a philosopher or a scientist suddenly uh, has a profound insight, intellectual contemplation. A revelation is a good way to describe this, something uh, that, that I've struggled with over a long period of time, and all of a sudden, there it is. It just manifests itself. And of course, natural contemplation, watching uh, a mother admire a newborn infant, we know that experience of something that is sort of uh, beyond and uh, the the two human beings that we may be witnessing, but there's something that is going on between them that is not unlike uh, what we are told theologically uh, is the context for the Trinity. In all of those, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. All of those, the the aesthetic, the intellectual, the natural contemplation, all those have this in common. They they catch the person out of themselves. They're absorbed. Um, there's a sense of being absorbed, an experience of being in awe, falling into a kind of wordless state of wonder. 
it it's, could be very real, very vibrant, and it takes us out of ourselves. You know, when you're staring out the window and you're not really looking at anything, you know, those thoughts that are going through your head would be a sense of this. I actually saw a, a football interview one time. Uh, the interviewer was in the middle, and there was a football player on each side, and, you know, he was going from one to the other, and he was congratulating him on a great play. And so he, then he turned to the other guy, and he's asking him questions. Well, the, the first guy then, all of a sudden, he kind of what we would call zones out. You know, he's just kind of looking there in a, in a stare and his mouth is kind of open, but, but it was a very happy stare. And I'm like, that was a sense of a contemplative moment. And you're like, what was going through his mind? He was probably just, maybe he was replaying a wonderful play in the game. I don't know, but it lasted really long. So long that these, uh, TV sports gurus replayed that many times on TV. I just happened to catch it, but you know, it, it, it could have been a religious experience for him and maybe not, but you know, it, it was an example of him being caught up in a, in a very positive way. So now when we want to focus on Christian contemplative prayer in a general sense versus the supernatural gift of contemplative prayer, which is the infused contemplation, um, we got to think the time in contemplative prayer is a, it's a personal journey and, and it's unique to each one of us. And there are similarities among us as contemplative prayers, but there are, there can be differences too, because of course this is a journey that is guided by the Holy Spirit for us in the way that we are built. Individually, right. And, I, right. and just going back to the list we just covered about the non-religious natural, you know, uh, some people may respond to a painting, others may not. Maybe uh, someone finds a great deal of uh, of this sort of natural contemplative experience in nature and others in music. So we're all built differently. We all have different human experiences. And so God and the Holy Spirit working uh, at God's direction tempers uh, our encounter with him and helps draw us along the path so long as we stay focused and keep keep moving and keep working with him. Well, I would like to encourage everybody to look at your prayer life and to see how you can grow in your prayer, how you can dispose yourself to uh, this great gift of contemplative prayer, especially this uh, transition of this infused mystical prayer. You know, everybody can be a contemplative. There's nothing in us that says we can't because God, this is the ordinary progression of a prayer life. It is. It's that mystical piece that we referenced earlier in our conversation, how some people are turned off by the word contemplation or worse yet, the word mystical prayer. But somebody asked me this one time, well, do you think as a Carmelite, do you think everybody's a contemplative? And I looked at the person and said, yes. Are we all called to an encounter with our father? Yes, then we are all contemplatives. The question is, who of us responds to it? And of course, right. not everybody will, and that's that's okay. It doesn't it doesn't preclude salvation to not be a contemplative. But if what Francis read earlier from Saint John of the Cross is available to us, who would not want that? Right. Uh, that 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 encounter with uh, with love, uh, and so. As we close here, uh, our conversation today, uh, I'm going to leave us with that statement, Francis. Everyone can be, and indeed everyone is a contemplative. The gift, the the opportunity is available to us. Do we respond to it? I just want to make a quick uh, reminder of the uh, pilgrimage that we'll be conducting in the latter part of September uh, through the first part of October to Quebec, uh, to the province of Quebec. The visit will include Montreal, uh, a visit to the Orator in Montreal, to Notre Dame in Montreal, uh, then on to Quebec City for a couple of days where we'll see another uh, Notre Dame church, 
the uh, shrine to St. Therese of Lisieux and St. Anne de Beaupre and a number of things in between. And so uh, if you are interested in joining us for that pilgrimage, feel free to get on our website, carmeliteconversations.com, and you'll find a, um, a, a link there where you can register and uh, and join us. It's a beautiful time to be in uh, Canada. And Mark, I think for our closing prayer, it, maybe it would be just good to reiterate those opening scripture passages that we used from Jeremiah and Psalm 46. I think that's And great, I would love idea. for you to pray that for us. With All right. Us. Well, then let us use it as prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For I know well the plans I have in mind for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for woe. Plans to give you a future full of hope. When you call me, when you go to pray to me, listen. I will listen to you. When you look for me, you will find me. Yes, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me with you, says the Lord. And I will change your lot. Finally, from Psalm 4611, be still and know that I am God. Well, a reminder that you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in your home, until we're with you again next week to discuss the continuing uh, series on contemplative prayer. May God bless you and in your contemplative prayer.